Welcome all. Uh, today is our first ever show, uh, first version of the new show from Fever Pitch to Horror on the Ditch. The name of the show is inspired by a, a, a native in Scarif, formerly of North London, um, Terry Hogan, living in Capabane now in Scarif. He was a lifelong, uh, he was a lifelong uh, supporter of uh, Arsenal Football Club and still is to this day. And also, uh, in more recent years, has been a, a very active member in underage hurling in Scarif. So he's he is himself and uh, Jim have de- have developed a new show for Scarif Bay Community Radio and. Uh, so we're going to start today, and this is entirely based uh, really around the Premier League and the performance of English clubs. So we have uh, three guests, well, uh, Tim Hogan here and myself, I'm hosting the show, and I have three additional guests on me, so I'll just maybe go in, get the guests to introduce themselves first. Um, so we have James Rowe, who's based in uh, Holland and is a journalist. So James, you might introduce yourself. Uh, good evening, everybody. My name is James Rowe, originally from uh, London, England, um, currently living in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, nearly 20 years. Um, I've been a football writer for the last seven years, interviewing professional players and managers at all different levels of world football. And it's nice to be invited on to give an opinion about um, different subjects within professional football. Thank you, James. And our other uh, correspondent from London, or particularly North London, is John Aylert. So, John, you might introduce yourself there. Hi there, Scarif Bay community. It's great to be uh, invited onto this station. It's a real honour and uh, all my love to Ireland. I'm uh, North London born and bred, N17 actually, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm the enemy. I'm a gooner. So I like to be called John Gooner. Basically, I'm just a, a mad Arsenal fan that's been brought up in a North London community. Uh, no loathe about Arsenal. I love the history. A more of an old school gooner and uh, as, a, as an Arsenal, as Terry will know, Arsenal has a fabulous history with the Irish community, especially in London and uh, you know, it's a pleasure to come on and talk. Thank you. And the third guest and uh, my co-host and the, the cornerstone of the show uh, is Terry Hogan, so I'll let Terry introduce himself. Hello, uh, I'm Terry Hogan. As Tim said, I'm living up in Capabam, but uh, I grew up in Highbury, London, uh, about seven minutes' walk from the Arsenal football ground. Um, and I've seen so many matches over the years, but win, lose or draw, I'll always stay an Arsenal fan, just as uh, I'm also a Scarif fan in ter- terms of hurling. And uh, we're all fired up because we've just seen Scarif win uh, in in the last hour and a half. So, so that's great news. Um, yeah, you might want to know, listeners, uh, how I, I met our two guests. I actually met them through um, a YouTube channel called Cannon Fodder TV. And uh, I I started working with them or helping them, supporting them, because one of the uh, people working alongside me in a school in Barnet was a guy called Alex. Uh, Alex was a lovely guy. We hit it off straight away. He worked with some of the more difficult children and special needs kids and all kinds of stuff like that. And a wonderful man, wonderful personality. And when we got to know each other well, he said, you know, I'm going to start up a, a thing called Cannon Fodder TV. And, uh, and I was actually on his first show, which he did 
from just outside the the new Emirates Stadium, uh, and we we met near the uh, Tony Adams statue. So I was on the inaugural show, uh, and over the years I've got to know lots of uh, Arsenal fans, of course. And uh, amongst uh, uh, the guests we've had on Cannon Fodder TV uh, would be our two guests here today, uh, John, of course, as as he's introduced himself. Uh, from from Enfield and then James who as he told you there originally started off in the UK but he's he's living and working as a journalist in Holland now so both these guys are tried and tested um, really wonderful uh, lads to sort of work with and they've got a broad broad knowledge of the game John in particular has a good knowledge of the English game and uh, of course James has a wonderful knowledge of uh, European football so a little later on We'll be looking forward to their comments. Right. So thanks, thanks, Laz, for the introduction. So look, we there's five fixtures tomorrow. It really is a true Super Sunday in that sense. Now there's obviously the main fixture is the Northland and Derby, and that's going to be the the main focus of our of our conversation. But we will fly through the other fixtures just to give people maybe a feel for how the Premier League is developing and how they feel maybe other teams are getting on. So the first fixture up is the uh, Sheffield United versus Newcastle uh, match. That's on uh, I think it's a half four tomorrow evening. So maybe I might hand over to um, to Terry, actually, for that one. So, Terry, how do you think that's going to go? Well, actually, Newcastle haven't had the start to the season most people expected. They are probably one of the richest uh, uh, clubs in the, uh, in the EPL. Um, but um, so I did expect them to, to start off better, which they haven't done. Sheffield United, of course, are our new boys. Um, and uh, if I were to put a scoreline in it, I can't see anything other than a Newcastle win if they can if they can go back to the form most people expected. Thanks, Terry. So now, John, I'll pass it on to you. So your thoughts on the Sheffield United Newcastle match tomorrow? Uh, it's not looking good for Sheffield at the moment, is it? Unfortunately, Do you know what I mean. They seem seem to be a favourite to go down, but uh, Newcastle ain't looking that great either. Our old boy Willock's there, so I, I tend to uh, support the Newcastle over Sheffield. I, I can't see Sheffield United getting much joy from Newcastle tomorrow. I think Newcastle will find their form and uh, probably be 3-0 to uh, Newcastle, I reckon. So, thank you. And James, finally, your thoughts on Sheffield United and Newcastle? Um, I think midweek will have taken an awful lot out of Newcastle playing in Milan in the Champions League. The emotions that are involved especially uh, returning to the tournament after 20 years. Um, I think that will catch up with them tomorrow. And I think with home advantage, um, I think the Sheffield United will surprise. I think Sheffield United will win 2-1. And I have to say, my own prediction as well is that I agree, uh, well, uh, have a strong agreement with James in that I feel Newcastle are underperforming. I think they were very lucky the last day out in the Premier League. They got a very, well, a penalty anyway uh, to score. Other than that, really, they looked under, under severe pressure. So I think, I won't maybe go for a Sheffield United win, but I think I'll go for a Sheffield United-Newcastle uh, draw. So, and the fact it's on in uh, Sheffield should be a help. So that's the first fixture uh, we're going to looking at. So now we'll move on, like I said, 
I'm conscious of the time and I'm very conscious that we do have a vast knowledge of uh, North London information here to get, to to to, uh, per, to pass on to our listeners. So I want to give everyone an opportunity to that. So the next fixture then is on, it's a two o'clock fixture, it's Chelsea and Aston Villa. So maybe Terry, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, Chelsea have had a, a pretty average start to the season. There's probably all kinds of trouble going on there. Um, and Villa... With our ex-manager there, of course, um, I can see them having a very good season. Now, they are away at Chelsea, so I think a draw would be would be it, probably 1-1. Yeah, so, uh, John, I think I'll go to you again. So, Ch- Chelsea and Aston Villa, how do you think that'll go? I fancy Unai Emery to turn them over. Chelsea just look a bit of a shambles, man. Just they're trying to buy their way out, buy their way out of trouble. Uh, they just look a mess. It's just throwing money at a big problem. Uh, yeah, they've got some fantastic players. They pinched one of our best youngsters, didn't they? And uh, mm. Mudrick. Uh, they just, I don't know. Pochettino's got an hell of a job cut out. To, get them off. They're a mid-table team, I think, this season, to be honest with you. I, I personally like to see them go down, but that won't happen. And, uh, yeah, I'll say 2-0 Villa. 2-0 And uh, James? Uh, my prediction for Chelsea Aston is the draw. I think it'll be 1-1. And um, you saw uh, losing in Poland to Legia Warsaw on Thursday night. It's once again proof that the Premier League, money or not, there's no guarantees in football and European football in particular, you have to be on it every game. I think the rhythm of um, Europe already, even in the first round of European games, will be seen with uh, Premier League fixtures. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, that, uh, I have to agree with James. It's a fixture, I think, that really, you know, even though Inzo Fernandez and they've, you know, they've spent a lot of money on what you would call top quality players, Mudrick obviously being the other. So like, I'm sure it'll come to this when we're discussing Brighton, which we'll look into more in depthly in a minute. But like, they have given 225 million to Brighton alone. I mean, I think it's just unbelievable that that much money could be spent in a team. Like, I must remember that this team, this Chelsea team, won a European Cup. Kai Havertz famously got the goal I've, I have to say it was a thoroughly enjoyable European final uh, I enjoyed uh, the, the, the uh, with Rudiger and there's a team of Werner there was a big German influence and uh, Thomas Tuchel was an outstanding manager and it's really since he's left Todd Bowley I think doesn't understand the Premier League doesn't understand the like James is highlighted there, you have to be on it every day. And I think, that's to be honest, that there's a good opportunity that Aston Villa could win away from home here. So I'm going to go for an Aston Villa win. Okay, well maybe the fixtures that might have lesser interest uh, to our viewers. So we're now going into what the, the two, and I think we'll, we'll actually take the Brighton-Bournemouth uh, fixture first because after discussing Brighton under the, under, well, particularly their uh, how very, very astute transfer dealings with Chelsea, that I think we might have a look at this. Oh, obviously... Uh, to, uh, Tony Bloom here is a big is a big factor in the success of Brighton. I think it's four hundred million pounds he has given to um, to Brighton Football Club and uh, Brighton Hove Albion Football Club. And there's actually also a factor here, I suppose, that's worth considering. Is that I suppose in the era of Petra States and owning football clubs and all these sort of that I suppose Tony Bloom is a throwback to the Jack Walker at Blackburn that kind of era. So I think we might ha- immediately hand over here to John because I think John, you have a personal uh, relationship with Tony, and you might be able to give us some insight into his uh, his passion for football. Yeah, 
So, John? Yeah, hi there, fellas. Yeah, um, my connection with uh, Brighton, well, it's it's not a connection. The, um, the director, Paul Chambers, he used to play in my year for my school team. He was our best player in our year. So I did used to kick the ball around with him a bit in the playground. And uh, I know he ended up working for Barclays. I think he was pretty good at maths. He worked his way into the Barclays bank and uh, he went from there. I think he became part of Tottenham, part of the England setup, and now he's at Brighton. And they, they've obviously got a top team down there, very shrewd business people at Brighton. Because, you know, they keep selling their best players. Everyone's thinking they're going to dip in form. They keep coming better. So, uh, whatever they're doing at Brighton, they're doing it right. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, I think they're not a fashionable club. A bit like Bournemouth, they're not a fashionable club. But they seem to be savvy enough just to keep surviving. And for clubs like, well, they're in Europe, Brighton. So, you know, they're doing a bit more than surviving. But uh, for teams like them... Survival is the key, I think. You know, they're, they're not, they've not got any expectations of winning premierships and stuff like that. I think, yeah, FA Cup, yeah, Caribo Cup, a bit of Europe, but I think their key is survival. And, you know, the amount of players Brighton, Brighton have sold recently, and uh, as I say, just expect them to dip in form, but it don't, doesn't seem to affect them. And, they have a solidly, solidly run club. And uh, as I say, that, that guy, Paul Chambers, he was a Tottenham fan in our school. I ain't seen him since school. He probably wouldn't even recognise me. But uh, fair play to that guy, man. He's done well. He's director of Brighton. <laughs> I'm a painter and director, painter and decorator. <laughs> so uh, he's, he's done all right for himself, man. And fair play to him. Do you know what I mean? I shake his hand yeah, very good. Yeah, job. and two great clubs, and all, all the best to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and just from a point of view of like, obviously, Graham Potter was there, he had Joe a lot of success. People said that when he left, uh, Joe was probably going to go backwards, but they got uh, Roberto de Serbe went in then since, and he's really they're really blossomed under him, and they're playing a really attractive style of football. Actually, you could nearly say that they have redefined how football is played, it's different to maybe this possession kind of you know, slower build-up that you associate with Pep Guardiola. And uh, James, how do you think the, that Brighton-Bournemouth uh, fixture is going to go? Well, I think that first and foremost, Brighton had a bit of a shock midweek. I, I couldn't believe the coverage of uh, you know Brighton uh, being stunned by their opponents when this isn't one of the powerhouses of Greek football that have won the domestic double last season. And um, AEK Athens are no, are no, they're no marks... And also Brighton find themselves in a very difficult um, Europa League group along with uh, Ajax and Marseille. So it's not going to be easy for them. And it'll be interesting to see how they react because obviously, um, you know, the rhythm of playing European football and also going back into Premier League football, I think it will take its toll on Brighton. And I don't think Brighton will have a, a very good season as many people think because you can't, you can't turn it on like a tap. And um, I've, I think Bournemouth could even well surprise tomorrow. I think that it could well be a uh, a tight one 0 win for Bournemouth. I reckon. Oh yeah, and just while we ha- while while we're discussing Brighton for a minute, obviously our list was here. So our the star of Irish football at the moment is Evan Ferguson. He's obviously the a key player in uh, 
in Brighton at the moment. And uh, how, how do you think, let's say, from his point of view, being at a club like Brighton, do you think is a good is a good move because he has been touted as maybe moving to a bigger club? So, what would your thoughts be on that, James? Uh, well, first and foremost, I think his attitude and his maturity is nothing short of incredible for a man of his age. And um, I think with his history as well, I believe he was at Bohemians as well in the past. Yeah. And um, I think to have to have this season with Brighton and then to kick on and maybe go to a bigger club, because uh, one thing that uh, listeners do have to understand, even at the highest level of professional football, you can't plan a career. You can have dreams and ambitions, but you can't plan a career. It's, 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 it's nigh on impossible. And I think the attitude of, uh, of Evan Ferguson's testament to him, I think Brighton won't have the greatest season because it's, it's you know, away days in Athens, Amsterdam and Marseille. You know, it's, it's, uh, for a team that was playing Hereford United back in 1997, it really must feel like championship manager. So I think that it will take its toll uh, emotionally on the club. And I think it might be a difficult season for them, but I think uh, the talent of Ferguson will uh, continue to improve. Thank you, James. Now, the other topic, of course, or the other big star uh, at Brighton seems to be the manager. He's really, his style of football is just brilliant. And uh, Terry, what would your thoughts be on his? Well, the interesting thing is he does this uh, game where they hold onto the ball all the time. Um, It's very it's a Pep Guardiola. Actually, he got the idea from Cruyff, uh, and hold, holding on to the ball means that the opposition can't score. That's the key factor. But if you watch uh, the build-up that Man City and currently Arsenal do, it's slow, it's steady. You don't let the ball go, and you squeeze the opposition back. Whereas the guy at uh, Brighton, he plays vertical balls, so he gets the chance when when he can to play that through pass. So he's a fascinating character. He believes in what he's doing. Um, and I'd love to see them doing well. They certainly look uh, an, an interesting team to go and watch. In fact, one of our friends who might come on this channel uh, in subsequent programmes, he lives down near there and he contacted me the other day and he said, I'm on a train in Brighton Station trying to get to the to the... Athens match, you know, and he couldn't get in because the uh, police were there keeping fans apart. That's all part of the the warp and weft of being a, a football supporter in in the UK, because things do kick off from time to time. Um, but I'd also like to talk. I don't know if you think about this. They seem to have uh, the magic wand in terms of finding players, and um, all the big clubs pay big money into these uh, data. Uh, companies that that flood them with all the latest data about uh, the soccer players, not just in the UK but across the world. But Brighton seemed to have a filter, and they did ask Tony Bloom, the chairman of uh, Brighton, "What do you do?" And he said, "Oh yes, we definitely have a filter system, so we find the really good players." And when the the following question was, "What's that?" he said, "I'm keeping that one a secret." Yeah. So, but they certainly have. It's more than just magic. It is wonderful um, scouting and a wonderful way of sifting through player stats um, to, to be able to find the players that will, will do things. I think Arteta bought a player a while ago and he asked, I'm trying to think who it was, and he asked um, one of the players, uh, current Arsenal players, he said, if you're pl- playing with him for, for your national team, find out what his attitude's like. 
because it's no good getting a top quality player who's got who's got a bad vibe and causes trouble in the uh, dressing room. So, you know, myself and Tim were talking about uh, the way getting the the culture right is absolutely crucial. If you're going to start winning things, you've got your first thing that Arteta tried to do anyway when he went to Arsenal was to turn around this culture of lazy players, selfish players, overpaid players. Um, he had some players who refused to speak English and were all talking French. So he, he set down the sort of ground rules, which are key for for any top club yeah so thanks there lads so that was obviously very interesting and the, the progress of Brighton through the year is going to be very interesting because and as James highlighted there there probably is an issue with depth and then Europe is is a is a, a double-edged sword really if you're particularly if you're tra- having big travels like to, to Greece and places like that now the fu- the final fixture before we go into our in-depth uh, our in-depth conversation about the North London derby is uh, Liverpool and West Ham now before we start this, uh, Liverpool, I remember a couple of years ago, they were described as the heavy metal football. And uh, I remember last year when they were going badly, s- someone says they went from heavy metal to choir by football, that it, it all changed very quick. And over the summer, Jordan Henderson left. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold was always deemed not good enough for the England team when the pressure really came on. Now, and James Milner obviously went uh, left as well. So there were due to be uh, a club possibly maybe that was you know, going in the wrong direction. But their their start of the season has really been impressive. And I really, you'd have to say, they could even be possible possible challengers for, for the championship. So, James, what are your thoughts on Liverpool this season? I think they've brought really, really well. I think the Slabosai, McAllister, Hakpo... You know, they've brought really well recently. They've done very, very well indeed. I think they will be challenging for honours. I'm not sure whether that will be a Premier League, or, but I, I'm I'm fairly confident that Liverpool will win a trophy this year. Uh, one thing I would say about Jurgen Klopp, it's been quite well documented here in the Netherlands that uh, he's turned down the German national job. And uh, to uh, go back on my point I said earlier on in this programme tonight, you can't plan a career. Um, there are opportunities that come up that may not, come round again and uh, I do find it perplexing how the the country of Jürgen Klopp has inquired about his services and he's declined and said oh I don't want the job every footballing manager would love to manage their country so there must be something behind that and uh, reminds me of Otto Rehagel the um, German coach who won um who won the Euros with uh, Greece in 2004 uh, he was offered the German job uh, ahead of the 2006 World Cup and he was offered a substantial amount of money where you would think naturally if Greece are going to pay you 600,000 and the uh, German FA are going to pay you 10 million then there's there's no mm-hmm. contest but he, but he actually couldn't get on so? with people with inside the German FA at the time hence why he stayed with Greece and didn't go to Germany so it is a very very strange uh, strange world football yeah, very good. Uh, and there's no doubt about it like that there seems to be almost a, a newfound vigour around Liverpool like Mo Salah was getting was touted as being going to the Saudi league the, the numbers were just uh, uh, unbelievable what had been offered so I think James got touched on something there there seems to be newfound enthusiasm and Mo Salah I think who I have to say even though Haaland I suppose gets all the rave the, his performances last year were outstanding but if you go back over a four or five year period he's just been outstanding uh, his performance in the Premier League so John how do you think uh, uh, Liverpool are progressing to the season? I think they'll have a steady season. I don't think they'll be uh, 
shaking up any pillars or anything like that. I think that'd be similar and next season. I think Klopp's time's coming to an end, personally, myself. I think the magic's sort of wearing off. Uh, they're not they're not like the Liverpool of a few seasons ago. Yeah, they've got some good little players there, McAllister, Mo Salah, but that, they seem to be in a transition to me. I expect them to be challenging for the top four, but I don't think them to be threatening teams like Arsenal. I think, you know, Arsenal City, for me, are the top two challengers. But, yeah, Liverpool will be there and thereabouts because they're a top top six team without a shout. Shout over there. Um, that's only my opinion. I could be <laughs> very wrong because uh, Klopp's a class manager, world class. But... Uh, I just think these things come in circles and at the moment it's Arteta, it's his time I think, uh, Klopp's had his go, I think I think they just get complacent and you know, they're not as hungry as what they used to be, but uh, time will tell, I think they'd beat West Ham though, without a shadow of a doubt uh, West Ham just competed in Europe, they played alright and won but uh, West Ham ain't the team they were last season either so yeah, be a tricky one, but I think two nil to Liverpool. Two nil. Okay. So that that finishes, let's say, our preview of the first four fixtures that are taking place. Or the the oh yeah. So the list. The so I think we're going to before we move on to the North London derby. Um, I'd like to get a, we have the input of James here, particularly on the performance of the English teams in Europe and maybe their performances during this week. Now. Obviously, Arsenal, Man United, Man City, Newcastle. So these are so these are big, big clubs uh, playing in the Champions League. And I suppose um, there was an argument made that maybe the English t- that the top two teams competing in the Champions League could actually be English. So, James, how do you felt? How do you feel that the the four English teams got on in the Champions League this week? Um, I thought it was quite mixed. I thought that it was a fantastic performance by Arsenal. I think in particular that should be the marker for all Champions League games that we play this season. Uh, PSV here in the Netherlands are completely shell-shocked. Even their own fans are asking, you know, how on earth could we play in the way we did? You have to remember that PSV had a 100% record here in the Netherlands in Eredivisie and they'd scored 13 goals conceding only once. So they look, and they, it's a different, more mature PSV than the PSV that beat Arsenal last season in many aspects. Uh, with Manchester United going to Munich, it's always going to be a very tough ask. I actually think that um, Bayern Munich will win the Champions League uh, uh, this year. They won 7-0 at home to Bochum today. They, they look like a juggernaut. It will be very difficult to stop. Um, interesting with Manchester City hosting a team that has won the competition, Red Star Belgrade, back in '91. You know, there are only 23 teams that have won the European Club Cup slash Champions League and you know whether a 24th team will be added to that um, roster I'm not sure this season and then obviously Newcastle with a lot of emotion returning to Milan they faced Inter in their last Champions League campaign 20 years ago but um, Milan look a little bit weak you know the name of Milan is still glamorous it's still you know a team which has won the European Cup seven times it's still an absolute powerhouse but they look they look a little bit weak, but um, in terms of the the European um, uh, quest for English clubs this season, no no two European campaigns are the same. You know, I, I, I think that um, I think there'll be many a twist and turn. I actually watched the Union Berlin Real Madrid game, and Union Berlin was so unlucky not to get a point 
at home at the home of the, the the most glamorous club in the competition so um, i think there'll be many surprises ahead and uh, there's six group games and uh, many a twist and turn ahead thank you james and i'll just put a hand over to terry maybe i'll pop your thoughts on the was, teams well i was thinking of asking james especially as he sees football uh, dutch football on a regular basis what he thought about psv's performance were, were they poor on the night or were they? Did they come up against Arsenal playing really well? Or is there a big difference in standard be- between the Eredivisie and the EPL? Well, it's a, it's a great point, Terry. First and foremost, Arsenal were excellent, and that has to be said. And um, PSV they had a, a five-year absence in the Champions League. Arsenal had a six-year absence, but PSV have also brought really well. You know, Jody Schouten, who uh, they signed from Bologna for 12 million euros. If you're talking about value for money, that's fantastic value for money. Uh, Noah Lung as well, who's um, often been criticised about his attitude, but he's got great uh, creativity and great pace. And the manager, Peter Bosch, you know, this is a manager who got Hedekles up to the Eredivisie and stabilised them, where they went on to remain in Eredivisie club for 15, 15 seasons. And it's... Um, He's a, he's a manager that's done different facets. He's not just a football manager. He's also worked as a sporting director. He's also had time at Maccabi Haifa in Israel. You know, so PSV are very much improving and, and they're very mature. In terms of the difference from the Eredivisie to the Premier League, as I've said on different platforms in many occasions, um, the, teams in the Eredivisie have to hand in their accounts to the Dutch FA every year. And if it's um, if if it's um, found that clubs are living beyond their means, or um, spending money they haven't got, uh, they can receive sanctions which range from fines to points deductions to your professional license being revoked. And you imagine that happening in the Premier League. You imagine uh, the Premier League clubs handing in their books to the FA and the FA going through them with a fine tooth comb. So there isn't really much of a level level playing field, but there is. As I've been, as someone who's, who's watched Eredivisie for now on two decades now, it's always been an acquired taste. There's enough talent in this country if you look hard enough, and um, be interesting to see what happens going forward. Thanks, James. Just on, on one thing, the, obviously the Dutch show have a strong European tradition, and Joe, we have not alone is their is their own is their tradition not in their own league, but they have contributed so much to Joe. Do we think about Dutch players in um, Milan and maybe? Johan Cruyff in Barcelona would would they have that like obviously there would be a high level of expectation I presume for any Dutch team that compete in Europe James uh, yes well Feyenoord in particular uh, they, they're delighted to be back in the European Cup having having won it having won it before they were the first Dutch team to win uh, the European Cup back in 19 uh, in 1970 and um, they're, they're in a very difficult group with uh, Atletico Madrid, Lazio and uh, Celtic. be interesting to see how they come through. But they've got a good manager in Arne Slot and um, they, they, along with PSV, harbour ambitions of getting into the last 16. But it's also two of the traditional top three here. And uh, in terms of the great Dutch sides of the past, the characteristics of the, of the greatest Dutch players that we can all remember, uh, this current generation of the young Dutch players, a lot of them can't take criticism. You know, it appears to be much more based on image, where, as Terry rightly said earlier on in our programme tonight, 
you can have the best statistics, but if you haven't got the right character, because to, to elaborate on Terry's great point as well, you see how it filters down now to even the youth uh the youth just general fans you know when they they watch football and they think oh uh the players he's not worth 50 million so he must be rubbish where they're not they're no longer looking at the quality and the characteristics of players if a player signs for one club the fan will also go with them uh, we're about to touch on arsenal tottenham when i was a young gooner paul merson was my hero I cried my eyes out when he left for Middlesbrough, but I didn't. I didn't go with it. I didn't swap North London for Middlesbrough. But it, it, it is very much a sign of the times in that respect. James, can I ask you a question? Um, you yeah. know, obviously, you have an encyclopedic knowledge of European football. If any listeners are, are thinking about f- finding out more of your um, where you write or where you publish, is there a, a website they can go on that they can find you? Well, uh, they can uh, Google me and you'll find my uh, authors page from World Football Index and Football Anya and uh, different publishers I've worked for. I'm often a guest on Canon Fodder as well and um, talking about the Arsenal, specifically with Alex with European games, which we enjoy doing. I'm also reachable on LinkedIn as well. And it's nice to... um, to educate fans as well, you know, because it's a, it's a world game, as I've always said. You know, there's a, we talk about different players. I mean, I, I don't know if any of you can remember the um, we played Ren in the uh, Europa League when we reached the final and lost to Chelsea. Uh, the number fourteen of Ren, uh, Benjamin Borisio, is a wonderful footballer. I still cannot believe for the life of me how he's not been picked up. He's a constant threat. He seems to be at the heart of everything good that Ren do. But nobody appears to want to pick him up. It's the same with Alfonso Pedraza at Villarreal. The man has an, an absolutely exemplary attitude. And uh, if, if um, uh, listeners watching tonight can go onto YouTube and type in the goal that he scored in the camp now when Villarreal won there, um, I believe, um, last season. It's uh, no season before, sorry. If Messi scores that goal, the whole world's talking about it. But he's the, he's the number 24 of BDL, Alfonso Pedraza. He's a brilliant footballer. Same with um, Benjamin Bordichio, the number 14 of Rennes. And, it, you know, in this, in this day and age where people seem to only want to talk about Mbappe, Messi, Ronaldo, these three players will retire. Yes. And what people need to realise as well is that it's the collective which allows the star player to shine. Yeah. Without yeah. the collective, the star player cannot shine. So, James, so can... It's interesting can, to, um, to help to uh, educate people on that fact. So, just... So, James, that was brilliant. Thanks a million for, for that uh, great feedback on the Europe. So, I think we're now into the main event with the North London derby. Now, this is obviously uh, a big, big fixture. It was described recently, I suppose, well, the three, the three big derbies being the Merseyside derby, the North London derby, and the Manchester derby. But I think... The actual uh, North London derby is seen, I think, as being the most competitive of the three because obviously there's might be a slightly red hint, uh, uh, hue to the to the to the wins column, but other than that, it's normally very competitive. So now, uh, I think we should move on, and I'm going to start off with maybe Terry might give us a bit of history of of well, of Arsenal and their move to North London, and maybe your own experiences of North London derbies. Yeah, I mean Arsenal. If anybody doesn't know and listening to this, you might wonder why is there a team named after uh, a place where you make ammunition and bullets and uh, rifles and guns and so on. Um, 
Arsenal began as a, a works team at a, a big Arsenal in uh, South East London called Woolwich on the banks of the Thames. Uh, and they made all kinds of weapons for uh, war. And um, you'll notice that an awful lot of the clubs that formed around about that time, you could almost, uh, most of the, the big clubs were formed over a 10-year space because the uh, government brought in a law that instead of uh, people working people in London or the UK having to work a six-day week, they could work a five-and-a-half-day week. So all over Britain, the uh, factories opened their, their gates at 1pm at, at and the, 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 the workers spilled out and they started playing football and that was the very start of all the teams. And then Arsenal didn't do at all well in the early stages and they moved ground, although they were always in the Woolwich area. Pretty rough area, I was telling Tim today, if you happen to go down there, although the yuppies are moving in on the side of the River Thames there. And um, a guy called Sir Henry Norris, who was uh, chairman of Fulham and he was a property developer, he um, spotted an opportunity. And his opportunity was to buy Arsenal and move them somewhere close to Tottenham Hotspur uh, because he knew that if he could get the authorities to agree to two clubs being so close to each other, um, then he'd have two sold-out stadiums every um, season. So he had to... Um, he had when, when he bought Arsenal, he no longer could uh, run Fulham, so he sold that, brought Arsenal up to Highbury in what was an old Divinity College, that might be the equivalent in Ireland would be a sem seminary, I guess. And uh, that's how Arsenal went there. And, uh, of course, uh, Herbert Chapman came in in the late 1920s and uh, the whole thing turned around. And uh, just coming a little bit more up to date, um, shortly after I started supporting uh, Arsenal, um, we got to the point in the 1971 season where we had to finish the final game of the season and in order to win the league, and it was done by goal average in those days, not goal difference, we had to go to the home of our big, if you like, enemy, big rivals, which is Tottenham Hotspur, and we had to either draw 0-0, or 1-1 draw wouldn't do it, or win. And um, my dad and I managed to get tickets, so I was a school kid, and uh, there were no, in those days, most people didn't buy tickets. Um, th th they'd just turn up at the stadium and whatever change you had in your pocket usually got you into, into the ground. So luckily, my dad and I went early. In fact, we got there at 10 to 4. He must have knocked off work a bit early and we started queuing. So this was on the Monday night before the FA Cup final on the Saturday. And um, we started queuing at 10 to 4. And the hours went by. There was an absolutely almighty crush. We arrived near the turnstiles, but there was a brick wall in front of us. And the turnstile was slightly to our left. And the crowd crush was unbelievable. There were actually cars that were crushed by, by the amount of uh, supporters trying to uh, get in. And um, I remember one guy, youngish guy, um, I suppose he's in his 20s, he... he absolutely panicked, had, a, had a, a, a panic attack, and we had to lift him out over our heads. So somehow, Dad and I got in, 
Uh, this is my dad, who was an Ennis man, Billy Hogan. And uh, we got in at 10 past seven. I mean, it was just so funny to be in. And there were over 40,000 people locked outside. And I think there was well over 50,000 inside. And we went to where we were, uh, where the guy said, yeah, you, you just go up to row so-and-so. And for the first time ever, we had a seat, which was a bit, bit of a treat. And the match went on. Very tense, as you could imagine, because Arsenal have been in the doldrums for, for two decades. And um, right at the end, we scored a goal, which was fantastic. But remember, it, because of 1-1, we had to avoid letting in a goal and we managed to, to hold out. And uh, my abiding memory of the day was Arsenal fans on the pitch turning cartwheels. And it was absolutely magical. And then we went and won the cup the following Saturday. Very good, very good. Now, John, we're going to move forward from the maybe the seventy-one double to maybe tomorrow. Uh, so, what do you think are your thoughts of the present Arsenal team? Primarily, what are what are their greatest strengths? And obviously, just to be conscious too of obviously Tottenham are well, supposedly playing very well. They have a new phrase, "Ange Ball." Um, Harry Kane has left him the greatest. I think the man with the most goals ever in a North London derby. So, how do you think it's going to go tomorrow? And particularly, where do you think Arsenal? strength is John tomorrow mate we're going to smash Tottenham about 3-1 I reckon I predicted that on Cannonball yesterday <laughs> as always Tottenham Arsenal is the biggest derby in the world I go as far as that in my eyes anyway I was born in N17 so uh, you know it means a lot to me my dad's Tottenham my brother's Tottenham my granddad's Tottenham I'm a gooner so it's in the blood. The rivalry is in the blood. But um, as it goes tomorrow, Spurs have got a very good team and a very good manager. Uh, Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> he's doing really well. He's got firing on all cylinders. I thought they would have a dip in form with Kane leaving. Uh, but it doesn't seem to affect them. It seems to actually have made them a better team. Uh I think Arsenal should have should have the better team, and uh, after that, for, off the back of that Bournemouth victory, you know their confidence must be sky high. I would have thought, but uh, Spurs have had a little rest, didn't they? So, you know that that could help them as well. Yeah, so, so we London back. derbies are so unpredictable. It's you know both both teams will be going for it by or by crook. They will want to win that game. Tottenham, so they'd be definitely going for it. But um, that suit Arsenal. If they come out and play open football, that will suit us to a T. Uh, we shouldn't be fearing anyone at the moment. I don't think that, that we've got a twenty-two man squad now, so we, Arteta can chop and change to his his own sort of delight. He's it, like a having a box of celebrations in front of you. <laughs> what one do you pick? Okay. Um, <laughs> Thanks, yeah, I don't, I don't see Arsenal struggling personally. That's obviously a biased view. But um, I think Tottenham's defence is, is a bit weak at the moment. They ain't played the best of teams. I think Arsenal will... Uh, will overcome them. It, it will be a tough game. And 
a London derby is a cup final, the North London derby is a cup final. It can go, anything can happen. But I don't think Arsenal, uh, Spurs have beat us for the last 30 games at home. I think they've beat us once. So if you're going on that, there's no way they should beat us at the Emirates. But uh, for all the fans watching and everyone there, I think it'll be a cracking game. You know, I can't, I can't wait for it. I'll, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about the season. Uh, I'm just wondering who's going to play in goal. I had a discussion yesterday on Cannonball. I say Raya will now will now firmly be the number one. I think Arteta's made that uh, quite well known, in my opinion. Oh, Ramsdale will get games, but I think he's taking a back seat now, in, in my uh, my personal opinion. So that's another little interesting thing. Yeah. People are getting on getting on Havertz back but uh, I think he'll nick a goal tomorrow and uh, keep all the Arsenal fans that are having a go at him quiet Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, yeah yeah I'm looking I'm looking forward to it uh, and uh, yeah it should be a cracking game thanks John now James I'm going to go to you now obviously Havertz's name has already been mentioned and obviously the loss of Kane who was a key figure in North London derbies for the last number of years um these are kind of the, the main characters or the characters, the, the the moving parts in this derby. But the traditional derby has been, Arsenal have been the dominant team. But there's no doubt about it, Spurs have momentum. They have, um, let's say, they have a, a, a new manager who's uh, delighted, I think, to be managing Spurs, which is a change from maybe some of his predecessors. So, James, how do you feel it's going to go tomorrow? Well, I think the crowd are going to be a massive... Uh I'm actually going to have a massive part to play tomorrow. I mean, I remember my uh, my North London derby at the Emirates where we won 4-2 under Unai Emery, where we were 2-1 down at half-time. And I remember the, the atmosphere in the ground at half-time of just trepidation going into the second half and we managed to turn it around. And um, I just think that uh, they're, all, they're one-off games, aren't they? You know, they're, they're important. It's a special game for us, the biggest game of the season for us. Um, I think Spurs as well with the loss of Kane. But I think Kane's taken to life in the Bundesliga like a duck to water. You know, it's shades of uh, shades of Tony Woodcock at Cologne and uh, Kevin Keegan at, ha- at Hamburg. You know, a fantastic opportunity for him. Um, I think Arsenal. I think it's going to be an old-fashioned one-nil to the Arsenal tomorrow. I think um, the, the win at Goodison last Sunday, which has always been typically a difficult place to go, and and the uh, adrenaline of midweek, I mean, the, the build-up to Arsenal's return in the Champions League, I found that to be a little bit over-exaggerated. You know, we've had, we've had I think, 25 um, cracks of the whip of Champions League playing European Cup and Champions League football. And we are one of the 23 teams. The 23 teams that have won the Champions League, we're not one of them. And we've had so many bites of the cherry. So I think the the week of adrenaline and energy involved and hype around it, I think it will catch up with us tomorrow. And I think it will be a 1 0 win to Arsenal. Thank you, James. And that now we go to the, the man. I suppose it's the most knowledge of Northland derbies of all of us here. So, Terry, how do you feel it's going to go? Well, <clears throat> I think John hit, hit it on the head. It's, uh, it's like a cup final. If you're a North L- Londoner, you split either Tottenham or, in most, in most recent times, definitely Arsenal. 
Um, I can tell you a little funny piece of banter that goes on. I, I love banter in soccer matches, and Tim and I were chatting away about it on the way here. And I, do you remember uh, the match where we beat Spurs 5-2? And uh, um, uh, anyway, great score, great match, seven goals. And of course, the school I was working at at the time, most of the staff, if they're interested in football, in fact, all except one person, they were all uh, Tottenham. Uh, supporters and it's only myself and Simon the schoolkeeper that were Arsenal fans so of course we, we had this little banter going on for the whole of that following week where every time I'd meet him on in the school building and there was one of the other Tottenham mm. uh, supporters going by I'd say Simon what's the time and he'd say 5-2 tell <laughs> so it was a bit of banter and a bit of fun um what I'd say, very difficult to call this because Spurs like being underdogs. And to be honest, some of Arsenal's greatest victories in cup finals have been when they were underdogs. Um, so I couldn't pre predict a Tottenham win, but as uh, maybe it's going to be tight. And as long as Arsenal win, I really don't mind what the score is. Well, very good. Now, just before we go... So I think we're going for uh, nearly Arsenal wins. I think I could predict a draw. I think it could be very tight at two-two draw. So before we leave, obviously, maybe we just have a quick uh, step around to the different contributors. Everyone here, I think, has seen a lot of football. They've seen a lot of uh, players play in North London derbies. So maybe we just get maybe two or three, uh, maybe three players each from uh, that, that 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 were players that really impressed you in North London derbies. Now we're under a small bit of pressure from time, so maybe just a uh, brief enough description. So I think I'll start with you, John. North London derbies, uh, like favourite players in them, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my first recollection was uh, 1978, I think, when Arsenal beat beat Spurs 5-0 at the lane. My granddad worked there at the time, <laughs> and I went with my dad and my brother. Liam Brady got a fantastic goal. Terry probably remembers that. Everyone was trying to curl it. For, everyone wanted to curl them goals in like that. He, he was the first player. They say bend it like Beckham, but he was like, bend it like Brady. He, he really curled that ball past old Jennings. Not Jennings. Uh, I can't remember his name now, the, the ex-Liverpool keeper. But yeah, and Alan Sunderland got three goals that game. So that's 5-0. That was my first derby. That, that was a fantastic one. So I'm going to put Brady down. Now I'm going to go for a Spurs player as well here. Paul Gascoigne, one of the greatest players I've ever seen. And when he played against Arsenal, right, he made them, he made them derbies. And he's another one. That free kick he scored against us in the semi-final. We had a couple of semi-finals against each other, and that that was a fantastic goal he scored. I hate to say it, but uh, Seaman was nowhere near that free kick, and and they knocked us out and went on to the cup final. But I always enjoyed seeing Paul Gascoigne. He, he was fantastic. Then I'll go for another Arsenal man, and. Uh, I'll go for Big Pat Jennings. He was another great player to see. Big Irishman, Northern Irish, weren't he, old Pat? He, he was fantastic. He played for both sides, so he knew both teams inside out. And uh, he's probably one of the only players that's crossed over that both sides of North London will, will you know, appreciate as a, a legend, will, an Arsenal legend and a Tottenham legend. So... 
I'll go with Pat Jennings, Liam Brady, and uh, Paul Gascoigne. Here you go. Here's my there's my thoughts. Thanks a million, John. Now, James, we're just a small bit of time, so we'll just get your three players, James. The three players that impressed you most I, in North London derbies. Yeah, I will start with Tony Adams. Uh, my very first uh, North London derby at Wembley in '93. He's a very young gooner. He scored the winning goal in that game. And even now, I turned 40 very soon. It's still the only celebration, goal celebration I've seen live where I kid you not, for 15 seconds, I didn't know where I was. It was just absolutely amazing. And um, as um, as um, John so, so rightly uh, chose a uh, Tottenham player, I would like to mention Glenn Hoddle. And uh, his, his autobiography, Playmaker, is an absolutely tremendous read. And there's a great, there's a, there's a great anecdote of, um, you know, people know of his time from, uh, from Monaco. But in the first instance, he was, going, he was supposed to go and play for Napoli. And he had, a, he had a young family at the time and he went to Napoli with his wife and they found that Na- Naples was a, too much of a chaotic um, place to bring up their children. He was supposed to be signing for Paris Saint-Germain and uh, Wenger nipped in and signed him, but a fantastic talent, you know, and a wonderful England manager as well. I think in all my years um, watching England as well, he was... Um, He's uh, played some of the great best football I've ever seen. Just a, a brilliant, brilliant footballer as well as a, a good manager. And uh, my third player would be um, Thierry Henry. I was fortunate enough to be at Highbury when he scored that goal from the halfway line. And I was in the east. I was in the I was in the west stand, and I was I was level with him when he got the ball. And I could um, you could t- you could tell what was going to happen. I know I know it might sound strange now. Like wise after the event, but as soon as, as soon as the ball touched his, touched his foot, you could tell what he was going to do, and he took it really, really well. So my uh, my three would be uh, Tony Adams, Glenn Hoddle, and uh, Thierry Henry. Thank you, James, and thank you to John, and thank you, Terry. This was our first ever show of uh, from from Fever Pitch to Hurler on the Ditch. I think it was very insightful. We covered a lot of matches and particularly gave a good preview to the North London derby. Oh, just one quick thing. Uh, when right. Tim said he thought Tottenham would win the match tomorrow, I very nearly throttled him. But uh, <laughs> he's still laughing or coughing. I'm not sure which. Uh, that's the uh, that's the reason. I'm very and the MC and the MC. Uh, so that's the reason. So lads, thank you for your contributions, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again on future episodes of this new program. And enjoy the weekend, and particularly enjoy the North London Derby. Thank you very much, and uh, enjoyed it very much. Thank you, James. If anybody's looking for James on the internet, his uh, surname is spelled R O W E, so it's James Rowe. Yeah. Thank you, Terry. Thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah, fa- thank you very much, guys, and uh, all the best to, to Scarif Bay and the people and the residents of it. Isn't that Sounds lovely? like a lovely place. That's really nice of you, John. Thank you. We've got a lovely day here. We've seen Scarif win, and it's raining, so that's a great day. Okay, lads, thanks uh, for everyone for listening. That's the end of the first show of uh, From Fever Pitch to Hurl on the Ditch at, in Scarif Bay Community Bay Radio. We'll have Ronnie Drew, I think, playing us out. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Oh, the crack was good in Pinglewood. And they wouldn't leave the crown.